Welcome to the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Perhaps you're wondering what I'm wondering. Why would Jesus want to be baptized? Why did Jesus allow himself to be baptized? So what I want to do this morning is explore that, uh, that question and maybe come up with some, some answers. Um, now, I'm not necessarily an original thinker, so I, I, I go to my resources. And so I have all the books that I had when I was in seminary. So I went to the great minds. Uh, the first one I opened up was a book about the prophets, because Isaiah looms large here, as he does everywhere. Uh, from uh, a book uh, on the prophets from uh, written by Gerhard von Rod. And I've had it for 30, 40 years. I don't know how long it has been. I opened it up. The glue had dried and all the pages fell out. Okay, <laughs> I mean, it crumbled. I mean, in my lap on my desk, you know. Uh, but I saved it. I taped it together because there's some important reading in there. Uh, a similar thing happened years before that. Uh, with uh, a book by Patrick D. Miller, who uh, he, he's passed away now, but he wrote many good books, uh, one of which was an analysis of certain psalms in certain categories. And so uh, my ingenuity says, get your three-ring uh, puncher, punch some holes in it, put in a notebook. Of course, it was only big enough for two of, of the rings, but I still have it. I still use it. But we have uh, here today, this morning, we have four readings, as we always do every Sunday morning in the liturgy. So let me read a little bit of what I wrote in that the readings from Scripture that we've just heard appointed for the first Sunday of Epiphany, year C, in the Book of Common Prayer, 2019. The writers that we listen to this morning are the prophet Isaiah, Ethan the singer, or Ethan the musician, and Luke, the physician, evangelist, who traveled with the Apostle Paul sometimes. So I begin with that question from the Gospel according to Luke. Why did Jesus allow himself to be baptized? John the Baptist had a similar curiosity. And considering these appointed readings for this morning, how do we get from Isaiah to Jesus' baptism? The living the liturgy of the word and the sacrament will assist us. So we gather this morning to worship our Lord. We are the assembly of God, not a assembly of God. When the church gathers wherever, whether two or three or many, the universal church is present. So we gather to worship, to praise, and to honor our Creator. So we do so in the first half of the liturgy by listening to the lessons read, the word of the Lord. 
and then listen to the homily of about 12 minutes or a sermon of about 40. <laughs> In the second half of the liturgy, we receive the word of the Lord as we consume the bread and the wine and we digest them. This communal act is not simply a memorial, as some will say. The liturgy is a purposeful remembrance of what our Lord accomplished. Indeed, at the Last Supper, our Lord commanded us to do this in remembrance of me. So in this liturgy, we refute amnesia. We do not forget. Now, in light of this preamble that I just gave you, let us understand how Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, undergirds the baptism of Jesus. As one of my biblical scholars that I read in Fractured Pages, the preaching of Isaiah represents the theological high water of the Old Testament. Not one of the other prophets approaches Isaiah in intellectual vigor or in the magnificent sweep of his ideas. His versatility is fully apparent when we remember that as a man of the ancient world, his whole intellectual apparatus was very much bound by tradition, unlike us. And what was that tradition? So none of the prophets, whether they were the major prophets or the minor prophets, uh, just sprang up willy-nilly. Uh, some spirit, free spirit, uh, talking to those who are in charge. You've got to remember that in the Old Testament, there were kings. And Isaiah lived through the reigns of four different kings of Judah. So we're going to forget Israel in the sense of northern Israel, uh, also known as Ephraim. So after Solomon, the kingdom divided. There was a northern kingdom of ten tribes, a southern kingdom of two, Judah and Benjamin. And so the southern kingdom was known as Judah. And that's where Isaiah was. And when you read in Isaiah 1 through 29, you, you hear of, of judgment. with a little bit of hope in there. But he's making a judgment on how the king lived, how the king provided uh, governance to his people, how the king and all of his minions treated the people. Now, none of the prophets, none of the major or the minor prophets, none of them really spoke on their own. Remember, a prophet is one who speaks from God to the people. A priest represents the people speaking to God. Jesus Christ was a prophet and the priest, the only one, according to the order of Melchizedek. But the substance of what the uh, prophets were doing were, came from Moses, the grand man of the Old Testament, I would put him. So here's what happened. The dominating figure of Moses, when he said he wanted to let his people go, his people were in slavery under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh would not let him go. And Moses wanted him to let go because God told him that. So here's what's going on. 
lots of laws were passed by Pharaoh on a whim, on a whim. But the strength of Moses, the strength that God gave him, they exited the land of Egypt and came to a new land. Freedom, freedom from slavery. So everything ought to have been good. But there were three things there that, that uh, the prophets understood about that exodus. And you'll notice Jews today still celebrate the exodus in the Passover. Why not? It was probably the greatest thing in history. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I think so. There were three elements involved in that exodus. One was Pharaoh and his intransigence, okay? And two were the Ten Commandments. And three, the golden calf. Pharaoh would not let go. He did eventually through the dominance of, uh, of Moses. But then God, this shows you how, that this came from God. This freedom that, that the Israelites on leaving Egypt came from within. It didn't come from any of the other nations that happened to be around there. It came from within. And this is revelation, as we talked this morning in Sunday school. It's revelation because God was revealing himself to his people. He's appointed his people to do a work. And what did he do? He gave him ten commandments. Pharaoh, he didn't have anything like those ten commandments. And whatever he had, it was always floating. It never stayed the same. God gave the ten commandments. I am your God, no other, and you shall have no other God before me. God was a jealous God. And jealous gods can't uh, allow others. And they weren't gods. So anytime they would elevate themselves, God would find a way to break them down. So in the prophets, what the prophets are doing, they're understanding what's going on in their particular historical situation. Well, the golden calf represents people saying, well, uh, Here's a God we can have, we can see, we can control. We'll just go on and do our thing. And that didn't work. And so the covenant that God made with them, and they agreed to without even knowing the Ten Commandments to begin with, they did their own thing. God called them to task. And so what Isaiah was doing is calling uh, his kings, uh, while he was there, calling them to task. You are not doing justice. Well, how does he know what that justice is? Well, the Ten Commandments, for starters. Yes, there were all the laws that came later in Deuteronomy. But you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. He was calling them the task. So the themes throughout the book of, uh, uh, well, not throughout the whole book of Isaiah, but uh, chapters 1 to 39, is one of judgment. And yes, there is going to be hope for the future, but it's judgment. It's pretty, pretty strict. Now, also in that first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah, uh, I remember they're traditionalists, but he says something about Emmanuel. The first occurrence of the term Emmanuel, God with us, is in Isaiah. And later on in the other sections of Isaiah, the, the term suffering servant comes in. So, as one of my uh, books said, that the sweep of the uh, 
knowledge and ideas of Isaiah is just broad and deep. And so in the chapters 40 through 55, the tone changes. And the tone changes to such that uh, instead of talking about Judah alone, he's talking about, and this is to be the reading that we had for this morning, if I can get it back out. The tone becomes kind of lyrical, kind of poetic, almost like a song, uh, a reassurance. The difference is uh, when this uh, part of the Isaiah was written, and probably not by Isaiah, scholars think there were three of them, um, they were in captivity. They were not a nation of Judah. They were a remnant of Judah. They were in a different kind of slavery. They were, slavery, they were Persian slaves. Yeah. But something happened in there while they are a remnant. God always said that he would make a remnant of Judah. But in the very first verse of what we read this morning, chapter 42, verse 1 through 9, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but at the beginning, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Plural. He will bring justice to the nations. So in Isaiah, you see an expansion, not just inward for Judah alone, not just for the Jews alone, alone. justice not just for the Jews, but justice for the whole world. You take this and you go back to uh, one through, it's actually in, in chapter 7 where he talks about Emmanuel and then the suffering servant. So Isaiah, within that tradition, has created an open, opening. And that opening foretells the future. Prophets are, we've come to think of prophets as people who can predict the future. They are actually warning about the future if you don't do God's will. And it's based upon the Exodus. It's based upon what Moses did. It's based upon understanding how people uh, operate. Now, that's why the golden calf is one of those three items. Uh, we succumb to the culture. But we've made the uh, Israelite nation enculturated with everybody around. And God didn't want that. And so God made them suffer. The psalmist this morning, they call him Ethan, the Ezraite. Uh, what the psalmist was, was a, was a musician, a singer in the court of David. So David did not write all the psalms. I think we've gone through that several times before, but this one was written uh, by one of his uh, servant musicians. And it's a pretty deep uh, psalm. And what he's doing is he's, of what happened uh, to Judah, as a, in the rest of the story of Isaiah, uh, he's picking up because he, he will cut down Judah, God will cut down Judah and leave a stump. And the stump will have the seed of the future. And it was given to David. So in the psalm this morning, we started at uh, 80, uh, Psalm 89, verse 20. It begins right off the bat. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil 
I have anointed him. God made promises to Judah. The psalmist, Isaiah, in later chapters, remind God, you promised this. It seems like it's taking too long to get here. In the verse 29, it says, His seed will I make to endure forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. So the promise is there. The psalmist is repeating it. He's telling everybody, it's coming, because God promised. In the Acts of the Apostles reading that we had this morning, I, I like the way it starts out. So Peter opened his mouth. Uh, Peter opened his mouth a lot. <laughs> he was a talker. Um, and he was, uh, I guess you might say, at times full of high anxiety. But he was a good leader. Um, so what we have here is really the latter part of Acts 10. The Acts uh, of the Apostles, many have said, should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in the chapter, Holy Spirit is talking to the centurion Cornelius. Remember that story? So something is going on with the Gentile Cornelius. And the same thing has happened to Peter in a different town. So Peter is in a Jewish town. Cornelius is in a let's say a secular or a Gentile town. And eventually they do meet because God tells him to go. And Peter has this dream of a sheet coming down from heaven with all sorts of different animals to eat on it. And Peter says to God, I'm not going to eat that. That's not kosher. More or less, he said that that way. And God said what God has produced, what God has blessed, uh, is holy. It also meant go to the Gentiles' house. And so he did. So this, this part of the uh, readings, in one sense you could say, should have come after the gospel reading. Because what he's doing here now, after everybody there was baptized with the Spirit in front of Peter, you know, he says, and for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So when Jesus, we jump to the gospel of the day, so when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened. Now the reading we have for the day doesn't talk about the exchange between John the Baptist and, uh, and, Jesus, and Jesus, but I believe it's Mark, in Mark's version, uh, he says, you need to baptize me. I don't need to be baptizing you. But he was baptized, and heavens opened up, and God proclaimed his favor for his son. What does that mean for us? If we go back for what I said a little that I said about Isaiah, things were opening up. It was isolated Judah, didn't do right by God. Things happened, things changed. Isaiah saw that things had to open up. He talked about Emmanuel, talked about the suffering servant. The psalmist talked about the promise that made to David. For the new king. I heard a sermon one time by R.C. Sproul. You know who he is? I know you do. 
So he said the word is obedience. Jesus submitted to God the Father to be baptized on the water through John the Baptist of obedience. Had it not been for that obedience, then what kind of world would we be in now? Because Jesus is the breakthrough, the extension, if you will, in some sense, but it's the breakthrough of what God wanted for all the nations, not just for Judah. We're all free. We're all meant to be free. And Jesus said yes. And he was baptized. And the beginning of that ministry was born on that day. Jesus represents the universal hope. The church is the universal representative of what Christ is. We are the assembly of God. We are the assembly of Christ crucified. We worship him. We love him. We proclaim his kingship throughout all the world. And we should proclaim it in everyday life. That's how we should live. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us on the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd, Pelham, Alabama podcast. We hope that you'd visit us in person. We have Sunday worship uh, every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. And you can visit us on our website at www.goodshepherdacna.com or visit us on Facebook at Good Shepherd ACNA. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast. It not only makes us feel better, but more importantly, it helps those who are searching for Anglican podcasts find podcasts like this one and other ones that are out there on the web. Thank you, God bless, and have a good one. The Lord be with you, and with thy spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is meet and right so to do.